0: Hello, Costec community. My name is Chrissy. I'm the founding director of the Costec project, coming to you from the land of the Web3. Today, I'm so delighted to be joined by Synthetix founder, Kane Warwick, who's going to talk about how he has built and also evolved this protocol, one of the most important protocol on the Ethereum ecosystem. Welcome, Kane.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you for sharing, coming on, and talking about uh, a very important aspect of DeFi. We define Web three a little bit broader than that includes like DAOs and NFTs and stuff like that. But obviously, DeFi is what started it all to make people realize that useful application can be built on top of the Ethereum blockchain and and be able to bring actual uh, utility and usage that is only imagined in people's head when we're talking about Bitcoin, but actually implemented in the EVM ecosystem. Um, maybe you can you tell us a little about your journey uh, so thus far in in web3 crypto blockchain and what made you uh, start this synthetic project
1: yeah so I, I started out um i built a payment gateway um that allowed people to uh, purchase bitcoin for cash in australia um that was uh i think well, well, eight years ago now um, mm. and then i went i kind of got you know uh, deeper into the Ethereum ecosystem around about the time of the DAO, um, and realized that, you know, this is, this is going to be, uh, a, a huge, you know, change in kind of how we build, um, applications and, and, you know, how we interact and, and coordinate. Um, and so, uh, basically early 2017, I was like, the thing that's missing in the space, um, particularly in Ethereum, stablecoins, right? We were using ETH for everything, um, and started mm-hmm. designing a stablecoin protocol, um, which was called Haven. Uh, we launched that in 2018, um, which was right around the time when like USDC and True USD launched, and even Dai launched a little bit before that. Um, mm-hmm. And so we realized uh, in 2018 during the bear market that in order to kind of differentiate ourselves, we're going to need to do something a bit more than just a stablecoin. Um, right. And so that's when we pivoted to synthetics and built uh this kind of more generalized synthetic asset platform which supports you know gold and um, silver and bitcoin and all kinds of other assets um, as well as you know uh like uh, futures markets and and shorting and just a bunch of different uh things you know over and above just like a us dollar stable coin
0: mm-hmm people who are new to the kind of like Ethereum ecosystem, you know, would learn about usually something simple like a certain token or certain types of stable coin. Those are pretty easy to understand the native asset like ETH. Uh, but when you get to like synthetic assets, it's like, oh, that's like advanced layer level two, right? You have to upgrade to it. Mm-hmm. So, someone who is kind of roughly new to the kind of the asset side in, in, uh, in this space, how would you describe like the generalization? Like, what is a synthetic asset? Uh, what's your definition? And how does that relate to the protocol ability? to you know, create these assets and manage them.
1: So I think it's actually interesting because most of the stablecoins people interact with are, are you know kind of synthetic right um, even like USDC. It's, it, it is a synthetic asset. So synthetic you know calling something a synthetic asset can make it sound more complicated than it actually is. Really mm-hmm. what it is is just a token on Ethereum that gets its value from something else. Right. Um, yeah. so in the case of, you know, DAI, it gets its value from a bunch of collateral, um, in the form of, you know, ETH and USDC and, and all these other things. In the case of USDC, um, the USDC token gets its value from, uh, a bunch of, you know, dollars and, and other instruments in a bank somewhere yeah. that's being custody yes. by, you know, Circle. Right. Um, but, you know, USDC is not a real dollar. Right. Like it's, it's just a token. It's a representation of something. So all of these tokens are just representations of something and they have mechanisms to maintain that value that they represent. Um, and synthetics is no different, right? Synthetics um, has different tokens that represent the price of Bitcoin or ether or um, you know, Doge or whatever, whatever thing it is that you want. And the reason why that's useful to have is the same reason why stable coins are useful, right? It's useful to have dollars on a blockchain or, or things that act like dollars on a blockchain. It's useful to have things that act like Bitcoin on Ethereum, right? right. Um, because people want to trade Bitcoin um, on DEXs, they want to hold Bitcoin, you know, in their Ethereum wallet, um, but they don't want to necessarily interact with the Bitcoin blockchain, um, and so it just it's a way for people to, to interact with these different uh tokens and, and have different values um, without uh without need to leave Ethereum.
0: Right. So there's a lot of like, you know, tools, like for example, using example of Bitcoin, right? You can put Bitcoin in a centralized custodian. They can give you an IOU for the Bitcoin, uh, not naming name of the thing. There are people who use special <laughs> cryptography yeah. to do that. And then there's certain other people who are kind of come up with a new way to do it. So what's unique in the synthetic protocol to make like your Bitcoin, the one that people should use if they want to kind of interact with Bitcoin and Ethereum or Ethereum related blockchain?
1: So I think everything's trade-offs, right? Um, so you know, if your trade-off is that you want really uh, tight um, uh, coupling between the price of Bitcoin and the price of your uh, your Bitcoin token on Ethereum, um, mm-hmm. then a custodial solution is actually fine, right? Um, uh, if you're not that worried about the, the custody side, the counterparty risk. Um, of someone holding the Bitcoin, um, that, that's totally fine. Synthetics opts for a different set of trade-offs. So what we want is something that is fully decentralized, that doesn't uh, require um, anyone to hold an asset. Um, it's all you know done via smart contracts on Ethereum. Um, so also we don't use USDC, for example, right, as collateral mm-hmm. for that exact reason. Because if you use USDC as collateral, then you know ultimately the value of USDC comes from. Uh, a custodian holding dollars or, or holding your know, dollar-like instruments in a bank somewhere. And we want to avoid that. We want to be purely decentralized and purely on-chain. Um, so the only uh, kind of off-chain aspect of synthetics is the fact that we use oracles from Chainlink to push the prices mm-hmm. of assets. Um, other than that, everything is contained
0: on-chain. So it's interesting, you look at USDC, and people were surprised to say DAI, which is one of the stablecoin most popular, has some USDC deposit, and maybe in the future, even actual bank deposits on it. So do you think that this idea of custodial asset inside this DeFi protocol is causing uh, a kind of more, more centralization? Is it something that DeFi founder has a lookout for to maintain that decentralization, almost like trying to make sure that everything you're doing is fair trade underneath what you're doing to make sure that your source is fair trade or non-custodial in this case within a field is that important or is that becoming less and less important as you say you know circle's good they chill
1: yeah i, I mean i you know it, it's kind of like the thousand days in the life of a turkey right um you know usdc is, is all well and good um up until the point where it isn't right and the problem mm. with usdc is that it is custodial um and they do have uh, you know uh, a blacklist that they can put addresses on they can um, mm-hmm. you know they can lock assets they can do it arbitrarily there's no um, you know intermediation process you can't um, appeal to to them to you know unlock your assets or whatever unless you're you know I can uh, email uh, an them institutional
0: support at and <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, right? And I wonder how that that will work out for you. Uh, so, know. so you know, again, I, I like. I think you know what it comes down to is what are you optimizing for, right? If you're optimizing for like efficiency or price parity or something like that, if you're op- optimizing for scalability, um, then you know USDC is a very scalable solution, right? Because you know all you need is. Uh, dollar demand and you just put dollars in a bank and you just print more USDC. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, you know, this is part of the reason why Maker got addicted to USDC, right? Um, because they were having trouble scaling. There was too much demand for DAI and not enough collateral. Um, you know, people didn't want to lock all of their ether as collateral. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the peg started to dislocate. And so then the solution was well let's just jam a bunch of USDC in there. Now that again sounds great on paper um, as a short-term scaling solution. Provided you don't have uh, this tail risk of USDC locking your assets. But that tail risk exists, and now we've seen that not only is it tail risk, but it's actual practical risk that has happened mm-hmm. now um, you know, multiple times where USDC has, has blacklisted addresses. Um, and you know, realistically, if you're optimizing for decentralization, then you really can't have USDC in your protocol. I think that yeah. there's... You know, it's, it's an obvious conclusion of the last you know, week of activity, right? Um, and, you know, so Synthetics has uh, has gone even further to say not only will we not use USDC as collateral, we actually won't even use DAI as collateral because DAI is effectively a wrapped version of USDC. And so even the low risk of all of the USDC in, in DAI being uh, locked, it's still too high a risk for us you know, it's an existential threat to the protocol. We want to be fully on chain and we want to be fully decentralized. And that means that you can't rely on custodial assets or custodial collateral. And that's just a, yeah. an ideological decision that the synthetics community has made and pretty much stuck to other than uh, a period of about a month where we dabbled with using as collateral um, on uh, on optimism to try and relieve some uh, critical peg issues, um, which mm-hmm. we thankfully were able to unwind. We've we've avoided centralized collateral, and, and right now there's no centralized collateral in um, in
0: the protocol. That's, I think that's something that, like, the community, especially your community, is well informed. But other communities has to understand that this is a trade off that they have to make those decisions. And uh, a lot of times, oh, Dai is a you know Ethereum based stablecoin, and they forget that you have to do like supply chain trace back until the origin, and to say, hey, are you willing to take this yeah. risk on this Where product? Maybe. Yeah, where did it come from? So, you know, you you mentioned optimism. Obviously, you're one of the uh, person who is most enthusiastic, early supported before. That's a thing to say, you know, layer two scaling has to be a thing. uh, and, And the security model Ethereum is not incompatible with the scalability need for protocol. How's your feeling about your early bet? And, 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 you know, with these kind of growing steps and supporting DAI and rounding them, how are you feeling about the synthetic protocol on two networks, you know, in, in with, with significant liquidity?
1: I, you know, the challenge of supporting multiple networks is very different to the challenge of supporting a single network, right? Um, um, you know, it, it's not like a, a quantitative difference. It's a qualitative difference. You, you really need to think Quite differently about it um, and that's factoring in you know that you're using an l2 roll-up, um, which is very much within the you know ethereum uh, kind of security uh um, structure, I guess, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, as soon as you go out to like other L1s, uh, the, the attack surface and, and the risk um, profile just increases, um, you know, significantly. So we made a decision to kind of stay within the Ethereum ecosystem, within Ethereum scaling. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as a community, I think, you know, it it probably hurt us a little bit. Um, because, you know, building a new network and, and, you know, kind of scaling that that network up is challenging and takes time. Um, And so, you know, that investment in time is only now starting to pay off, I think. And it probably won't be fully Mm -hmm. realized even for maybe like another six months or or even another 12 months. Um, But I do think eventually the market will realize that like this is the place um, that we should be investing our, our efforts into. Um, but, you know, you, you have to have high conviction to be able to maintain that in the face of, um, you know, uh, kind of contrary um, information for a while, which I think for much, much of the bull market of the last, you know, um, 18 months or two years, the alt one thesis was kind of dominant. But I think we're now in a position where it feels like Ethereum scaling um, is, is starting to kind of reassert itself.
0: Do you think that, you know, you know obviously Road up is, 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 is kind of like what we have today. It's kind of like a shot. It's, it would be very nice if protocol choose one and then share liquidity and composability on one thing. Uh, are you seeing that happening in Optimism? Are you looking at other roll ups or other technology? I mean, not only the way they do consensus and, and programming, but also the presence of liquidity, which is at the end of the day, what it bottoms out. And when you're trying to build a DeFi ecosystem. Do you yeah, see so, you know,
1: optimism? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Arbitrum. We've got Optimism. Um, you know, we've got some very early zero knowledge uh, scaling solutions um, that are composable. Obviously, we have Starkware, which which has um, you know done an exceptional job over the last two years, supporting um, you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of different protocols. But it, you you kind of trade off composability with stockware. Mm-hmm. Um, Starknet yeah. is different, but it's still very early. Um, so I think realistically, in, in terms of like Ethereum scaling today um, and, and Ethereum scaling that stays within like the security mandate of Ethereum, um, you really have like Optimism and, and Arbitrum are the two right. uh, kind of dominant choices. Um, and it's going to be, um, you know, a pretty uh, hard-fought battle, <laughs> I think, over the next six months between those two networks to try and maximize liquidity and, and maximize, um, you know, uh, usage on those networks. But even still, I think if we end up in a situation where the vast majority of uh, kind of block space, um, you know, and, and execution moves off L1, even to both of those networks, even if those networks mm-hmm. shared 50%, um, we'll get to a position where like the induced demand from confidence in those two networks will allow for Ethereum to you know scale significantly more than than it otherwise would. So even if we don't have consensus on like which of the two uh, roll up networks um, is going to be dominant, I still think in six months time you know, or a year's time or whatever, the majority of activity will be happening on those 2 rollups combined, um, which we be a much better place than we are today, where, you know, the, still the vast majority of activity happens on L1, and, and, you know, the vast, vast majority of liquidity is on L1, obviously.
0: Yeah, it's I, the analogy sometimes I use about Ethereum uh, and and the future of Ethereum and the role and stuff like that, it's like what's behind me, right? Manhattan is like Ethereum and there's many suburbs, many boroughs that you can go to yeah. and it's all good. Like no matter where you go, there will be different communities, but it's still, there's a place for them to share. Uh, what does it mean to be in this, you know, the city, the university sleeps and and a blockchain that never stops, yep. right? Um, exactly. The question that I have about fees, right? So, you know, one of the thesis you have is that, you know, the ability for a network to Pay fees and feel like it's worth it uh, is going to be the new measure that is much more close to sustainability do you think that the fees uh, the, the on on optimism and aptrum and combine and whatever the totality of it it's going to be something that you will see growing for only not only your protocol or uh, for but you know is it going to be low enough for it to be usable and is it going to be high enough to show that there's demand?
1: So I think there's two types of fees, right? You've got, you know, uh, fees for a block space. Um, so mm-hmm. on L1, you know, obviously uh, the the fees that um, Synthetix is paying are... Significantly higher, right? Um, than, than the fees that synthetics, the protocol is paying on optimism. But then you've got the fees that users of the synthetics protocol pay, right? right. And mm-hmm. users pay those fees in in U.S. dollars in the form of uh, SUSD, right? Our our dollar yep. stablecoin. Um, and when you look at that, the majority of the fees being generated and being paid by users for the protocol itself are still happening on L1. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's getting close sometimes, some days, you know, it's a little bit higher on L2. We need to get that to a point where, you know, 95% of the fees are, are coming from L2, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's Why the goal. That? Like we need to get 90, uh, because in order for us to really be able to say that we're, uh, we're scaling and that we can, you know, support, uh, the, um, the, the protocols growth for the next you know two, three, four years, if the majority of activity is still on L1. Um, that's not a viable scaling path. Like we've seen that L1 gets to a point where it's just not, uh, viable for everyone to be using it simultaneously. We, so, you know, we need a pathway where we, everyone is confident enough, right? And, and people don't have, you know, one foot in each camp where they're still kind of hanging out on L1 waiting to see if L2 works, whatever. We really need everyone to kind of lean into this L2 narrative and say, okay, no, we're gonna bring all of our transactions over to L2 because that's where Mm -hmm. we get our 10x or 50x or 100x scaling. We're not getting, you know, even 2x scaling on on Ethereum um, in in the near future.
0: Yeah. Is is it important to use incentives uh, to get people to move over? What are the What are the You know, you you mentioned about narrative, and obviously, meme is one type of narrative. Is there like a meme to move people to L two, especially if they feel like L one is doing what they need to do from as a trader as a person? How do you get them to like? Get off and then just ride the bike across sure. the bridge, <laughs> so to speak.
1: Yeah, it look at yeah, I know, right? It's it's a tough question. Um, I think you know I've, I've said this a few times. Now we were probably lulled into a false sense of, uh, of security um, in terms of how easy it would be to move liquidity uh, with, through DeFi summer. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. saw crazy movements of liquidity between smart contracts um, during DeFi summer. You know, like. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of billions of dollars would just overnight go from one contract to another, right? Um, with the right incentives. And so I think that some of us saw that and said, Oh, incentives will fix this problem, right? With the right Uh incentives we'll get people to migrate. And we've begun to see that. Like the OP incentives that exist now are starting to have an impact. But Mm -hmm. there's no question that it is a different challenge to migrate liquidity from L1 to a roll up than it was to migrate liquidity between two contracts on L1. Um, it's, it's probably an order of magnitude harder. Um, which means that it's going to take much longer to happen. It's going to require, um, you know, a higher level of confidence in people that are, that are, you know, interacting with these contracts that are interacting with bridges that are interacting with, you know, the network itself. Um, but I think we will get there. Um, and mm-hmm. I think once we reach that tipping point in confidence, then right. the shift will happen, and it will be quick. but we're still not quite there yet.
0: do you think the the consistent hacks of bridges and people losing funds as bridge attack is causing the loss of confidence and perpetuating the fact that you don't you shouldn't get on a bridge?
1: It, it's a bit ironic, right? Um, because not all bridges are the same. Um, you right. know, so the bridge between uh, optimism and, and Ethereum is very different to uh, some of the bridges that have been hacked over the last year, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, a bridge looks like a bridge looks like a bridge, right? Unless you're a bridge yes. designer, you're the, right? You down might, oh, the no. same,
0: right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You know, like even even a, a real world bridge, right? If you show me ten different bridges. Like, okay, they look different. You know, the, the Harbor Bridge looks very different to the, the Brooklyn Bridge, right? Sydney Harbor right. Bridge. Um, but, you know, like underlying mechanisms are, are similar-ish, right? You know, unless you're a bridge architect uh or, or an engineer you're not going to be able I to, to tell, tell the differences yeah. and, and what the, the trade-offs are right um so yeah. for the end user they just want to drive their car from one end to the other and not have a collapse on the while they're, while they're right. on the bridge <laughs> right um and and so the only way that you really I think build up that confidence again is through Lindy, right? Just through, you know, having a lot of assets bridged, having time, mm. you know, the longer you go without a bridge hack, the more confidence people will have in it. And so this is just going to be a process where over the next, you know, six to 12 months, we're going to have to build up that confidence and get people, mm-hmm. you know, to a point where they feel very confident that that using, um, you know, the bridge between optimism and L1, is a very safe activity. But ultimately, you shouldn't even need to use that bridge because you shouldn't be on L1 in the first place, right? Like right, you should be getting the L2, yeah. on L2, right? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right, you should yeah. be beginning on the L2, right? So if you're L2 native, you know, like a lot of projects are these days, you, there's no bridge problem because you just stay on L2. You stay, you know, on Arbitrum or Optimism and that's it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, f- for us, we, b- we built a uh, layer two uh, design protocol using those to save where things are a lot cheaper. You can do a lot of very interesting uh, multi-sig wallet type of thing that would be inefficient and impossible to do. The tough part is getting fiat on and off ram on these things. So we're only seeing beginning of gesture from people who have those, you know, operation supporting with open arms uh, layer two uh, yeah. for USDC or you know, even die assets, and that seems to be maybe the maybe for trading is a little bit less important, and you, you know, you you can you can you can do that mm-hmm. later on. But for more commerce stuff, which is what we work on, closer to you know, like kind of like dealing with software subscription, that's kind of our, our niche. Uh, it's hard to get your earnings out, and you have to bridge it. And it's like that's like twenty five bucks or risks uh, that comes in is a yeah. big problem. Uh, but I do expect uh, a lot of uh, new of these you know compliant providers to start. Seeing the volume, it's like, I got to be where my customers are.
1: Exactly. And, you know, centralized exchanges are already starting to support that. Um, You know, so it's a matter of time. And then, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is you need to build the ecosystem such that people don't need to exit it. Right? You know, mm-hmm. if someone is earning money in that ecosystem and can spend it in that ecosystem without even leaving sure. the ecosystem, that's when you really solve the problem, right? Because, you yeah. know, you don't even need to bridge out. You just have access to, you know, okay, I earn revenue here and I have expenses here and I, you know, and I buy things in that same place. I don't need to go anywhere else. I don't need to convert it out or, or leave the ecosystem
0: yeah and then that could mean that you need adapters into like you know credit card tied to a also safe or something like that, but you know right For now sure. people are still yeah. very much like oh what how how do you make that bridge uh make that connection between the two worlds some of them it's a loans against your portfolio but you know hopefully we have systems where we can just authorize from your Gnosis safe <laughs> that would be ideal yeah. but I, I don't think we have yeah. the speed to do that yet but i'm sure that gap between we're not quite there I, the, the technology will have to get a lot better to have confidence to be hooked into the authorization network i'm sure you have, you have a lot of experience in that in your payment uh thing so how far do you think we are from spending our Gnosis safe with the visa card I mean,
1: it feels like, you know, this is the type of thing that's like been two years away for, you know, uh, it's always, it's (laughs) always kind of two years (laughs) away, uh, for eight years, you know? Um, but I do, I, I do think that in the next you know in this next cycle as we build out a lot of the infrastructure um you know obviously in in, in a bear market um which I, I still think we're in uh you know uh-huh. a lot of infrastructure gets built um a lot of the money that was invested in the in the bull market gets you know deployed um, and, and that's where you start to get some really cool stuff being built. So I do think yeah. that we will see uh, a bunch of new, uh, you know, cool things that kind of come out of this bear market, which will put us in a much better position. If we're ready to scale when the next bull market starts, that's when, you know, uh, more institutional, traditional finance players get excited again, right? And when, and when they get excited and can immediately do something and, and the, the tech is there and the platforms are there and the infrastructure is there, um, it makes it much easier. Um, if you get right. someone excited about something and then tell them, yeah, I know you're really excited to do this today, but we can't do it for another two years, they disappear, right. you know, but if they can do it straight away, that will, that will change things. So I think it's really important that we continue to build scaling infrastructure, you know, build these networks, build the bridges, build all of this tech and, and, get to a point where, you know, someone like a visa or, or something can just turn up and, right. and do their own integration. And, and it's not you know, a multi-year process
0: yeah i think there's a lot of attempt to kind of you know paper over the fact that there are two com- incompatible infrastructure and you know i think they can be brought together um do you think time to finality is important obviously when i had some conversations about like you know credit card processing and finality they say well you know avalanche in as an l1 mm-hmm. you know can give you that one second finality could be useful in some of these use cases uh obviously a lot of the ethereum upgrades are not really changing the finality time frame Uh, What's your sense that can Ethereum keep up if finality time become important?
1: So here's a fun fact for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Visa and MasterCard and all of the credit card rails do not have finality. There's no such Mm. thing. There's no concept of finality. You can literally roll back a transaction uh, in, in perpetuity. Um, Mm. so the concept of chargebacks, if, if, you know, uh, any of the listeners, um, or you know, people watching, watching this video, um, have had any interaction with e-commerce, uh, chargebacks are a thing and chargebacks are basically, um, you know, breaking finality, right? So a transaction happened, the funds were received by the counterparty and then, you know, 180 days later or, you know, even years later, uh, uh, you know, someone turns up and says, actually, no, that was a fraudulent transaction. And the transaction was brought right. back by the bank or by, you know, the PIM processor. Um, so this idea that you need like one second finality to support Visa is crazy because Visa doesn't have finality at all. Um, right. They don't believe in finality. So um, I, think, I think it's not a necessary condition. For integrations into, into banks. In fact, one of the reasons why I think that crypto payments and crypto payment rails are better is because you actually do have finality where you don't right. have finality in the traditional finance world. So um, it's somewhat right. ironic that the finality is something that people people focus on when, when it's not actually a real thing.
0: Yeah. And then the thing about it is that with finality, you can build chargebacks you can build a mechanism to do that and that's an interesting thing that people don't realize is that there's set a compromise in the current banking rails and the payment rails and then if you have a technology that has finality you can reconstruct similar to how you can build a protocol to do synthetic uh you can reconstruct a lot of the useful feature without the trade-offs and the fuzziness of it or with lower trade-offs right
1: or or it's a different set of trade-offs yeah
0: yeah or with trade offs that you can kind of spec out in a protocol i mean you can certainly do refunds in 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 crypto if you escrow some funds in a pool and you can you can put that together, but sure. it would be more intentional, not as an accident of a uh, lack of finality through chargebacks um yeah, that's so so interesting to look at that and 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 I think there's been some obsessions over like you know t p s for visas and visas like you know time yeah. that we forget that we actually you know, building a different set of tools that may actually solve the problem differently, but in some way better. Uh, I'm personally quite bullish yeah, may, on crypto payments.
1: Ultra high TPS, you know. So yeah, yeah So am I. I. I, you know, I've always believed that we'll get there. I, I think you know rollups are sufficient. Um, you know, rollups mm. plus uh, some of the EIPs that you know are being worked on to um, you know really scale things up, and then you know obviously uh, the execution layer. Um, you know, shifting away from L1 and, and L1 becoming this, like, you know, um, kind of a state maintenance layer that will help. So, I think there's a right. bunch of things that that we will see over the next, you know, twelve to eighteen months, maybe two years, um, that will allow crypto payments to, to be much more competitive. But I still think that one of the the biggest issues we're going to have is we need to build a. a an ecosystem of payments where people can earn money in crypto and spend it in crypto and stay crypto native mm-hmm. and we're not there yet. So long as people need to exit out the fiat in order to right. be able to like live in the real world um, we're not, so we need to bootstrap that somehow and, and get that momentum going and then once we do that then it becomes easier to bring other people into that ecosystem and and you know keep them there as opposed to constantly needing to exit the fiat. The the fiat exiting process um, mm-hmm. is I think too high friction to to. Allow allow this to work in the short term
0: yeah it's the ultimate bridge problem right <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, like exactly. exiting into exactly. the ocean that's the radio. cash
1: yeah, I know. Right, I,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> strap in your bag. You know, like I am going on the yeah. journey to the unknown. Um, yeah. So um, I, let's 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 uh, maybe wrap up and talk a little bit about the 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 kind of the near term for the synthetic project. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of very exciting development coming. One of which that was really interesting to kind of get your thoughts on is the new governance module. Um, obviously, there's a lot of governance theater. Right? It's like, oh, governance is a way for us to like you know. Yeah. Punt on something, keep the regulator on base something, give the token holder something to do. Uh, you know, what's your sense about doing more substantive type of governance that actually, uh, tap into the knowledge and an understanding and the alignment without just doing it as a, you know, thing to do because it's the thing to do. So what's your thoughts about governance in general yeah. What specifically in synthetic? Are you pushing for?
1: So I think synthetics has been at the forefront of decentralized governance for a long time, um, but it's still not there yet, right? Um, There's still aspects of synthetics governance that are discretionary um, that, you know, could be a a tax surface for a motivated actor that's trying to censor the protocol or or trying to, you know, uh, block the protocol in some way. Um, And ultimately, you know, I I wrote a blog post about this years and years ago. You know, if we want these protocols to be, truly unstoppable, um, we need all of the different attack surface uh you know and, and areas of attack to be addressed. Um uh, mm-hmm. and governance is a critical one. At different times, you know, some of them are in ascendancy and some of them are, are less problematic. Um, you know, even if we look at today, communication is critical, right? And if communication is happening in Discord and Discord, yeah. you know, your Discord can be shut off like that. Um, that's problematic, right? And we're not even close to solving that problem. So, um, yeah. you know, there, there are a number of aspects that are that are problematic, but when we look at specifically governance, you know, governance is the process of making decisions, but communication is a, is a key. Governance breaks if you can't talk to each other, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. we need a way to, you know, be able to speak to each other in a sort of censorship fashion. Now we can all, you know, create a giant signal Channel, right? And maybe try and use that. I don't know, uh, if signal scales up to 150,000 people in the way that Discord does. Uh, not but, in one you know, channel, are...
0: probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably not, right? So these are, these yeah. are problems, right? Like these are problems that yeah. need to be addressed, um, in order for governance to really work. And you have to look at it holistically. You can't just look at the actual decision making process. You need to look at all the inputs in decision making, but you mm-hmm. still need a robust process. And so, you know, yes. the new synthetic governance module will be able to take a bunch of these inputs right it doesn't solve discord it doesn't solve you know telegram right. it doesn't solve all these things but what it does solve is that once the community has made a decision it gives the community the power to enforce that decision fully on chain which i right. think right now the reliance on those to say means that you've got this off chain social consensus layer, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is somewhat problematic. So we want to remove that so that you don't need to be reliant on multi-signers to execute transactions that the, the token yeah. holders themselves and their representatives can directly uh, make changes on chain.
0: Yeah. And then I think, you know, I know the Gnosis ecosystem, we're a safeguardian at Carstack and it's trying to add the Zodiac module for like delays and wiring this up. And, and, and I think that's just directions towards the thing. But I think it's important to uh, not lost your email and someone fall asleep and then somehow just hold up because that person is just like, I have no internet connection. I yeah. don't even know that something passes. Right. Um, I know, right? So yeah. is the governance going to be on L1 or L2?
1: It'll be on L um, uh, two. The cost of governance is too high on L one. Um, you can't you can't put people in a position where you know the cost of voting is five dollars or something right. like that. It's not it's not yeah. viable.
0: Yeah, you just make the people who have more ETH, you know, have more say, effectively attacks on on, on participation. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, you you mentioned this idea that, you know, that the aspects of coordination of which governance may be an outcome uh, is definitely something we're still as an ecosystem extremely reliant on centralized party. But one aspect that is also pretty reliant is that there are still like web hosting infrastructure that we need to do to put the front end of these dApps or whatever it might be in addition to the, like kind of on top of the protocol. and. I think recent events made, made people more aware of the UI and the difference between the DAP, the UI, the hosted aspects of it, and then the protocol itself. Uh, do you think the decentralization of UI, uh, which you know early experiments from uh, Aragon was like, hey, you know, use this governance module in Aragon, download own. this application, <laughs> yeah. you have a node running, yep. and you're running your own web server for lack of a better way of saying it. Do we have to go to that to get that type of uh, um, decentralization? Is it a set of trade-offs? as you mentioned, what's your view on the decentralized UI need, especially with the recent events?
1: So I've actually been working with a project that is solving this problem. And mm-hmm. um, independently, you know, Synthetics obviously has been thinking about decentralization for a long time, right? And as mm-hmm. I said, we've got this like list of things that we need, you know, we worry about at different times, right? Um, and the DAP layer has always been, you know, uh, in the top probably two or three things that we worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went um, multiple times and looked at different designs for how we could solve this. You know, we've obviously, you know, done stuff like deployed IPFS and you know, all that. Right. And, but unfortunately, all of these solutions have pretty harsh trade offs in terms of uh, performance. Um, and it just makes it, you know, a backup, but not really a usable primary mechanism for interacting with right. the protocol. Um, and I think in order for this solution to really work, it needs to be the primary mechanism that people right. uh, use. And so there's a project that um, I've been working with now for about six months um, that is in stealth, but is about to come out of stealth, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they have solved this. They independently came up with a similar architecture to what Synthetics had been kind of looking at doing internally, but it was going to be too hard to build. Um, for us, was the resource resource required to build this was going to be too high. So thankfully, this project has kind of turned up and, and they've got a really novel solution, um, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that we haven't yet seen um, kind of implemented. Um, so I'm super excited for that. Hopefully, they're going to be out of stealth in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I think they have the potential to be the kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, decentralized DAP hosting layer uh, right, right. that we've all been kind of waiting for in d5 and obviously you know very timely um given you know recent events
0: yeah i think you know web developer who are not in web 3 but has a web 2 are very very like up to speed on no is it at the edge is it going to come out fast is it going to become from origin these are mm-hmm. all trade-offs that i think in web 3 we haven't really thought about if you're doing like a you know social media platform those are you know the e-commerce platform for social commerce platform that is like how quickly does this little Kardashian <laughs> promo show up? I mean, that, that yeah. has a conversion know, curve right. that drops steeply, right? Um, so it's there are crazy, definitely right? solutions. Yeah. It's yeah. very crazy. And and, and I, I did some work in that area with social uh, commerce and you know, the measurement of milliseconds of response time changes the entire yeah. structure. Because what, what, it's like three seconds for a tech talk? Like, even if you watch it, right? Like yeah. it's, you're just in this yeah. tremendously fast thing. So I think crypto is starting to realize Drop-off curve of performance uh, as being hundred percent.
1: It, it's not as bad if you have enthusiasts, right? Enthusiasts are willing to put up with a lot of bullshit right. uh, to to yeah. you know be enthusiastic, right? Like that, it's right. not a problem. But once you get to like genuine end users, and especially at scale, um, you know, yeah. the time the the kind of you know time impact of uh, of latency. Uh, is is huge, right? You know, um, if you've got a billion people looking at something, and you know, you look at the curve, every millisecond is like a hundred thousand people yeah. drop off, right? Like that's yeah. that's hugely, and impactful. it's pretty so, steep. And, yeah. and
0: then the, what you what it's you lose steep. in yeah. the beginning yeah. is way more than what you lose later it's on. Huge. So, um, so huge. performance, yeah. I think yeah. it's it's, so it's another scalability yeah. yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, and. Agreed. So you know, I think one other thing I just want to touch on is that you know the the need for messaging, right? You mentioned that Discord and stuff like that. And what's your view on the new kind of like new this generation signal coming, or not signal, maybe Signal and Status coming back to say, hey, wallet to wallet communication. Do you think that's healthy for us to leverage the Ethereum ecosystem and technology stack, Waku V two yeah. Wallet Connects that going into that? What's your th- thoughts on that? I,
1: I think I think we will get there. Um, You know, it's uh again, it's not an easy problem to solve, right? Like Discord is not an easy platform to build. Um, you know, yes. in Web3, we build really hard stuff in, in, at the contract level. And so we kind of hand wave. We're like, oh, Discord, that's not that yeah.
0: difficult, yeah.
1: right? Yeah. Um, but Discord is not an easy thing to build at scale, right? There's, you know, millions and millions of people using it. Um, you know, there's a reason why it's centralized, right? Um, so right. replacing something like Discord with a decentralized solution, um, we're, in my view, not close to that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, think, I think we're probably years away um, from yep. that, unless someone comes up with something... Um, you know, pretty miraculous in terms of scalability. Um, so you know wallet to wallet communication is great. it's a good backup, um, but I look at it as kind of similar to like the IPFS thing like having your dApp post on IPFS is great, but the average person is not going to use that every day. They're going to use it right. maybe if it's a critical outage or something like that. Wallet to wallet communication is just not at a point yet where I think you can use it as like a day-to- day, messaging service um That's true. you know maybe in 6 months time we can we can get there um but yeah in the in the short term i think no chance and and for larger scale communication like a discord type community with 100,000 mm. people in it I think we're still way, 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 way away from that yeah
0: maybe I can imagine it being like an OTC request to buy some Able swap an Able for something yeah. that may work so, but exactly. but like for yeah. multi-party yeah. communication you know I think you know we've been tracking this project called Matrix obviously it's it's an open source Slack clone or something like that uh, and even okay. that project has to do a rewrite uh, a couple of times to get better performance <laughs> they were on a Python po code base yeah. and they had to do a gold code page just to get the perf- uh, single server performance up uh, but you still have a clustering problem again it' not easy solution and i don't know if you've seen it's that uh, famous flow chart yeah. like ha- when do you notify someone in a slack group there's a lot of rules that come in that it's not just like ping the phone every single time you someone send a message right yeah. uh, so it's yeah. a it's a yeah. it's a tough problem uh well this has been really great uh kind of getting a sense of like uh the your roadmap and what you're working on and what is important is there anything else that you would like to share with uh you know the community about like you know what's next and you know where you when you're speaking next and, and what topics you're interested in as we kind of hopefully take some time to gather ourselves but also prepare ourselves for the next uh, set of work that comes with the new season
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm going to be in New York uh, in September um, for uh, the Chainlink conference and for Mainnet. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, And, you know, on the synthetic side, I think the the primary thing that we're working on right now is V3. Um, So Mm -hmm. basically a complete redesign of the protocol from the ground up. Um, The existing code base is getting close to four years old now. Um, mm. we're coming up on four years, which is a long time in smart contract land. Um, oh, yeah. it's I, decades. Some of, the, some of the contracts, <laughs> yeah, you know, some of the contracts on mainnet are like some of the oldest still functioning contracts, right? Like, uh, you know, if you exclude like WEF and some of the like really, really OG contracts, like contracts mm-hmm. that people still use today, um, some of those synthetics contracts that that are, uh, that are out there. Um, there, there isn't much older, <laughs> unfortunately. So you know it's going to be a yeah. complete redesign, rearchitecture from scratch, um, and then a redeployment natively to Optimism, um, and hopefully that that's coming later in the year. So super excited! How for that. old
0: is how old is Staking uh,
1: I think the first iteration of Staking Rewards. is three years old now. It's probably coming up uh-huh. on the anniversary of three years. It's pretty close. It was July. Um, it was, it was like July, August that, uh, that Anton, um, wrote that code. So yeah, it would, it would be three years. Three, it might, might've just had its birthday, uh, wow. like well, a three year birthday. Wow. When you ever retire ago, that, yeah. you
0: got to have a ceremony because that is probably the most used code and most copy and pasted code in Ethereum I should, history, on, right? I should
1: go and track it down. I need to find out what his <laughs> birthday is. We should, we should be uh, tweeting about yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's. Awesome. I mean, that's it, it's it's a hidden thing, but it's you know, if you know, you know, kind of thing that is that is if absolutely. Know, you know. The, exactly. yeah. If you know, yeah. you know. So, well, thank you so much for your contribution yeah. to the ecosystem and I'm a big fan uh, of of awesome. your work Thanks, and office and thing, and um and as always, the community, we do this every uh, Wednesday morning at nine a.m. Eastern. And thank you, came uh, for your uh, for your insight today. And until next time, take care. All right,
1: thank you. See ya.
0: Bye.